Thank you so much, Aubin. And Evelyn and Maisie and Leo, it's great to see your faces. And uh, to everyone, good morning to you. My name is Nelson. I am one of the pastors here at Artisan. And I've uh, spent a bit of time scrolling through as well. And I'm just becoming aware again of how many folks I actually don't know and haven't met yet because guys, people have connected to us through a pandemic and we just have not been able to meet. And so I echo Scott's words from the beginning that I love you, even though I don't know you. <laughs> and those of you who I do know, I of course love as well and cannot wait to be in the same room. Well, uh, this morning we are beginning a new series called Praying the Psalms. Praying the Psalms. Why this series? Um, well, first off, over the past few years, we have started out in January with uh, what we call a practice series. And so you, normally you can see on the keynote that often it'll say sermon series, but we're calling this a practice series. It still is a sermon. But sermons that contain practices and invitations to practice. And so this has been a rhythm that we've done over the last number of years. And so we want to begin 2021 in prayer. And my sense is that many of us could actually use a refresher on what that could even look like. And so we thought, why not start with the prayer book of ancient Israel, the prayer book of our Lord Jesus himself, the Psalms. Eugene Peterson said, we don't learn the Psalms until we're praying them. We don't learn the Psalms until we're praying them. So this is a part of scripture. We aren't meant to just read, observe, or study. They're a part that we're meant to do and to embody. So the Psalms are there to be prayed. And because that's true, it's important to point out that the Psalms occupy an utterly unique place within the rest of the Bible. We could put it this way. One of my mentors said, in most of scripture, God speaks to us in the Psalms we respond to God. We're going to remind ourselves of this often, but let me offer a couple more reasons why we're doing this series. And oh, brief pause. Terry's just offering a shout to Zach Bulick for the design of this series. And I just want to echo that as well. So thumbs up to Zach. Thank you so much. Um, so has anyone else, so another reason we're doing this, has anyone else experienced their faith flagging at all? in 2020. You don't have to do thumbs up or thumbs down, but if you want to, you can. I sure have. Thumbs up for me. I, I don't know how else to say it, but this has been a hard year. One that's raised questions about God's presence and action in the world. Questions that aren't new, of course, but ones that resurface over and over again in the wake of fresh stories of human suffering. It's been tough to hold on to hope given all that we've experienced. If you're like me, sometimes you find yourself wanting to pray but have no idea how or what to say. And I'm fully aware there are indeed many wordless ways to pray, but the Psalms are an incredible gift to us because they give us language to say and speak and sing and pray when we're unable to find it on our own. So a question that we're gonna ask every week is how is this Psalm teaching us to pray? How is this psalm teaching us to pray? And then we're going to be invited into actually doing it. So I told y'all near the end of the Advent series that we, this would not be the end of our conversation on embodiment. So buckle up. We're going to do stuff. <laughs> so one of my deep hopes is that this series might give us, those of us who need it, a bit of a reboot in our prayer lives. I, 
I'd love to see praying the Psalms become a practice that takes root in our community in a fresh way. One last reason I wanna share before we open up a particular Psalm together, and this flows from the last one. I think maybe one of the reasons that many of us have found our faith flagging has been due to the isolation we've experienced. Having to live without our usual ways and means of being together, uh, not being permitted to be close to one another, uh, processing our often very individual and specific experiences of loss, which, which can cause us to feel alone. So many different causes. Now, sometimes our experience of, ice, of loneliness has not been by our own choosing, but other times we, we have chosen to isolate ourselves. Whatever the reasons or motivations behind it, this is not a new story either. Since the very beginning, we all carry within ourselves a certain propensity to hide. All the ways which Adam and Eve hid resulted in one thing, their dehumanization. One author connects it to our experience by saying this. This is a three slide quote, get ready. Like Adam and Eve, when we hide from God, we become alienated from God and thus spend our strength trying to transcend life's limits. When we hide from others, we cut ourselves off from the gift of community. When we hide from creation, we deny our God-ordained creaturely nature and often seek to exploit rather than to care for his handiwork. And when we hide from ourselves, we become strangers to ourselves through selfish, self-indulgent behavior that ultimately does violence to our nature as humans made in God's image. What the Psalms offer is help to unhide, to stand honestly before God without fear, to face one another vulnerably without shame, and to encounter life in the world without any of the secrets that would demean and distort our humanity. The Psalms then are for those who know that they can spend, that they spend much of their life hiding secrets. They're also for those who know that they cannot hide these secrets from God. The Psalms invite us thus to stand in the light, to see ourselves truly, and to re receive the reformative work of God through the formative words of the psalmist so that we might be rehumanized in Christ. The practice of the Psalms offers a way to unhide, to live in the open. So why praying the Psalms? Well, to begin the new year engaging in a formative practice together as has been our rhythm in recent years, to seek to grow in prayer and deepen our communion with God, maybe in ways we hadn't considered before or knew were possible or realized we had permission to, and to find ways to unhide, particularly in a time when many of us are more prone to stay hidden and isolated, to be more fully human and animated by the way of Jesus. Are you with me on this? Can we do this? So we're gonna start with Psalm 13. If you have a Bible or an app, I encourage you to get it, to open it up where you are, and let's hear this psalm together. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. 
my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is God's word. So as we journey through the series, um, we're going to notice many and varied types or genres of Psalms. And Psalm 13, as you may know, is known as a personal lament. There are also communal or corporate laments. This is a personal one. I felt drawn to begin here because it emerges from a place of deep questioning, which is a place many of us have spent a good deal of time of late. And the prayer book of Israel gives us permission to be in that place. If you notice in your Bibles as well, many Psalms have headings at the top. These refer to various things, particular occasions, like that time David sang to the Lord when he escaped Saul, or that time David hid in a cave and cried out to God. It doesn't typically say that time, but you know, my own paraphrase. Headings can also say something about particular musical settings or tune names, according to Getif, these really strange words that we don't entirely know the meaning to, but we think our best guess is that they, oh, there's a familiar tune name. Sing this one to the tune of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Okay, we know that one. And so people know how to engage. So since the Psalms were not only prayers, but songs, that's sometimes the headings uh, point to that. They were meant to be chanted or sung. Also headings tell us about authorship. So the majority of the Psalms were said to have been written by David. There are other authors as well, but mostly David. And this doesn't necessarily mean, most scholars think, that he penned them all personally. He may have, but a Psalm of David could also mean that it emerged from a Davidic tradition of people who came after, they saw what David was doing and kept that going. So as I've engaged the Psalms, I found it helpful to imagine a flesh and blood human. So let's just say this one was written by David. Knowing what we know about his life, we could certainly imagine him experiencing these things and praying these kinds of prayers. So David asks, how long? Four times in two verses. He's having some feels. Let's look closer. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? This is a sense of feeling forgotten, or left behind, or neglected. Can anyone relate to this at all? Um, I got a story from my childhood that my parents love when I tell this story. One time, my little brother, Chris, who was age five at the time, was left behind at a family-friendly amusement park called Blackbeards. This was in California. It was pirate-themed, as you might have guessed from the name. It had an arcade, mini golf, batting cages, kind of like Castle Fun Park in Abbotsford. So we'd spent an afternoon there with a bunch of extended family. And as we piled into cars on the drive home, mom thought he was with dad, dad thought he was with mom, and we all left. About 10 minutes into the drive, my dad realized it and he tore through town to get back. So guys, this is the late 70s. So this is pre-cell phones. There was no texting each other. Is Chris with you? No, I thought he was with you. There's none of that was even possible. This even predates pagers. If my parents were to walk around with pagers, they didn't. But fortunately what happened, some of the staff had found my little brother, gave him a bunch of game tokens and just kind of set him loose. So Chris was fine. He was even slightly disappointed to leave. But the point is this, if you're a child with loving parents, you're used to being remembered, which makes the feeling of being forgotten the deepest kind of pain. 
again, my parents love it when I tell that story. Don't know if they're going to listen to the podcast on this, but I love you, mom and dad. Grateful that you came back for Chris. David's next question was this. How long will you hide your face from me? Hide your face from me. This question carries a strong sense of shame and forsakenness. David's feeling like God can't bring himself to look in his direction. And one scholar suggested that the meaning of God forgetting and looking the other way is that God was actually denying David practical help. And the reason for that is in the Hebrew scriptures, the opposite actions, remembering and seeing, frequently indicate a prelude to action. They were hints that God was about to do something. Here's one example from Exodus chapter 2. In verse 24, we read, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them, a remembering and a seeing. Well, what came next in that context were the powerful interventions of God on behalf of people, his people through the book of the Exodus, culminating, of course, in the Exodus, the Israelites, Israelites' deliverance from Egypt. So back to the psalm, what, what David's situation was exactly, we can't be sure. But we know he wasn't experiencing God's help as he had in the past. In praying this psalm, we are given permission to pray our forsakenness as well. Next question. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David feels abandoned, anguished, and utterly resigned to defeat. If you've ever been on an athletic team that just can't catch a break, you know what this feels like. Naturally, you want to know when your losing streak will end. This feeling of helplessness, of losing over and over and over again is at the heart of these opening verses. David virtually explodes into prayer. How long, Lord? <laughs> this is no time for exchanging pleasantries. His questions are abrupt. They're painfully honest. And maybe the most shocking aspect is their rhetorical. The speaker isn't seeking answers so much as he's wanting to fix the blame firmly on God. He's holding God responsible for his trouble. Um, I, don't, I don't know how many Bono quotes per decade pastors are allowed these days. I've kind of lost, lost track of what the, what the quota is there, but I haven't used one in a while, so I feel like I'm due. I love what Bono said about the Psalms of Lament. When he's talking about U2's Song 40, which is based on Psalm 40 and a few others, including 13, he said this, how long to sing this song? I had thought of it as a nagging question, pulling at the hem of an invisible deity whose presence we glimpse only when we act in love. How long hunger? How long hatred? How long until creation grows up and the chaos of its precocious, hell-bent adolescence has been discarded. I thought it odd that the vocalizing of such questions could bring such comfort to me too. Love that quote. And lament, friends, is different than complaining to a friend, even though venting absolutely has its place. Lament is also different than raging online or ranting, although that also may be highly appropriate and necessary at times. 
Lament is bringing our questions, our doubts, our cries for help before God. Instead of assuming that the divine is in fact aloof and disinterested in our situation, lament centers God in the conversation rather than triangulating the Trinity. Lament drives us directly to the ground of our being. And something begins to happen to us as we do this. A few days ago, my friend Jalen sent me a link to a new John Foreman song called Jesus, I Have My Doubts. I listened to it three or four times in a row and just cried. Here are a few lyrics. When everything that feels right or that's right feels wrong and all of my belief feels gone and the darkness in my heart is so strong, can you reach me here in the silence? Singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long, but the pain goes on and on and on. Can you reach me here in the silence? If you're a Switchfoot or John Foreman fan, or even if you're not, go look up Jesus, I Have My Doubts. It is a lament for our time. It's beautiful and raw. It's gut-wrenchingly honest. And it's sung with a heart that is open to the God who is present even when it doesn't feel like it. What are the questions you need to bring to God? Verses three and four, once again. Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Whew. Here the psalmist is moving from questioning to asking. David's demanding some attention. He wants God to change God's point of view toward David. So in contrast to verse one, where there's a sense of God hiding his face, or as Eugene translated, I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Here, there is a plea for God to, in effect, turn around and take a good look at me. Can you think of a time when you had something serious to discuss with a close friend, a roommate, a spouse, and they avoided looking you in the eye. It can be frustrating. Have you ever felt that way toward God? Well, Psalm 13 gives us permission to pray that frustration. In this part of the prayer, David is not only demanding attention, but action. He's in a tough situation. He's desperate for God's intervention. Again, we're not told exactly what's going on, and that's the point. There is a spaciousness and a freedom in these personal laments to imagine what kind of dire straits might stir up this level of emotion and cause us to utter this kind of pleading. This is what makes the Psalms so universal and adaptable to our lived experience. So whenever we open the Psalms to pray them, we find an invitation to reflect on times when we ourselves have been a place in a place that looks and feels and sounds like that of the one who first wrote it down. Spaces and times when our only hope is God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. There's real fear behind that prayer and a sense of urgency. God, if you don't do something immediately, I am going to die. In David's case, that may well have been a literal near-death experience, or it could be hyperbole. 
which is maybe the most often used literary tool in our culture today. You get a funny text from a friend, you see something on the socials, and we're like all caps dying, even though it's clear we're actually not. In the same way that we overstate to express a more intuitive gut level response, the psalmists also speak hyperbolically at times. And this too is okay in communing with the divine. David's fears are of annihilation and humiliation. And we're invited to say, yeah, I've been there. If I were praying the Psalm, I might say something like, this could be it for me if you don't act now. I'm at the end of my rope here, God. I have no idea what to do. There's also fear of embarrassment or disgrace of being the butt of his enemy's jokes. More familiar fears. I might pray them this way. Please, God, don't let these people see me mess up. Don't let them laugh at my failings. What is it you want to ask God to do for you? What would that prayer sound like in your voice? Verses five and six. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So far in this Psalm of Lament, we've moved from questioning to asking. And now some would say rather suddenly we come to trusting. Just as we don't and can't know what sort of situation prompted the prayer in the first place, we also don't know what exactly what happened between verse four and five. It's just a tiny little space in our Bibles. We don't know how long it took. We don't know whether David's circumstances like legit changed or were in the process of changing or whether he simply experienced a change in perspective. Circumstances haven't changed, but he began to see things from a different angle, maybe even something approaching God's outlook. We don't know for sure. But notice a few things with me from the language of these closing verses. It would seem that somewhere along the way in the midst of his ranting, the psalmist realizes that he too has a responsibility. He has a decision to make in the face of what he's going through and he chooses to trust God. If we place emphasis in verse five on the, but I, or as another translation puts it, but for my part, I, then we see a contrast between David's response and that of the surrounding culture. While they might say, where is your God? As in Psalm 42, he's driving a stake into the ground and saying, no, my God is worth trusting. I know this to be true. He looks to better things in the future in light of the past. That's the significance of unfailing love. This is a love that does not fail. He rejoices as though his deliverance has already happened. He's so assured that God will in fact turn his face toward him in answer that the last phrase appears in the past tense in most translations. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Now, most laments make this upturn toward trust, but some don't. Y'all know about Psalm 88. If not, I encourage you to check it out. 
It closes with the psalmist saying, the darkness is my closest friend. The darkness is my closest friend is in our Bibles as the closing line of a prayer. I am so glad this is in our prayer book because it gives us permission to not always have to tack a happy ending or even an expression of trust onto our prayers. It's okay to remain in that space for a time. My counselor told me recently that there are two movements in the grief process. There's, there's one that's towards sorrow and another that even in the midst of the sorrow moves toward what life is inviting me into towards the possibility of the goodness that still exists. And he said, when you're grieving, these movements go back and forth and that this is expected, it's normal, it's human. And then he said, getting stuck on either side is a worry. Getting stuck on either side is a worry. So if you're finding yourself stuck either in hard places or in a stubborn denial say, of the pain and suffering within yourself or in the world, I encourage you to pray the Psalms. They coach us in an honest response to all that life holds. Back to our text. For David, this is an unstuck moment. Somehow between verses four and five, through the movements of honest praying, the questioning, the asking, the pleading, he's been led somehow to a place of renewed trust to an awareness that there is security, there is peace, there is assurance and confidence in his God who hears the cries of God's people and answers. There's a deep rooted understanding even before Jesus comes on the scene and even before Paul affirms centuries later the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I want to share with you one of my favorite saved posts from Instagram from my friend Ken Tanner. So this is a list of things that cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. Completing suicide, being LGBTQ, letting your kids eat junk food, writing graffiti, smoking cigarettes, voting for Biden, voting for Trump, drinking whiskey, living on death row, being an ISIS fighter, driving an SUV, denying climate change, believing that black lives matter, being a white supremacist, listening to smooth jazz, wearing fur, eating swine, sex before marriage, doubting, bearing a tattoo, eating too much, listening to Nickelback, being human, having cancer or any illness, alcoholism, promotion of sex trafficking by viewing porn, celebrating Halloween, being addicted to anything, being in prison, ourselves, being anxious, depressed, fearful, being a helicopter parent, being a slacker parent, being an atheist, abortion, being a blasphemer, being hopeless, reading Harry Potter novels, denying the moon landing, failure, believing that something can separate you from the love of God, 
poverty, wealth, being angry at God, tailgating, putting ketchup on a hot dog, being a space cadet, being a televangelist, believing in evolution, being divorced, underestimating God's mercy, ignoring the homeless, dancing, driving under the speed limit, inadequacy at life, at anything, hating God, betraying God, denying God, murdering God, nothing. What would you add? Within the words of the psalmist, we find the vast landscape of human emotion and experience. In the prayer book of ancient Israel, of Jesus, of us as the new people of God, there is room for all of it in the love of God. There is permission to feel, to express, to question, to rage and doubt, as well as to offer thanksgiving and gratitude, to reaffirm our confidence and trust in the one who holds all things together. The key is that we feel, express, hold all of these things with God in the knowledge that we are fully welcome with full assurance that there is nothing, no thing that can separate us from God's loving embrace. So this is a practice series. Uh, and each Sunday, we want to give you an optional practice to take on. So this week, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to write your own personal psalm of lament. Try using the structure of Psalm 13 with three more or less equal sections or movements, questioning, asking, trusting. If you'd like to try it, I've got a few suggestions. First, root your prayer in a real situation you're facing. That doesn't mean you need to name the situation explicitly or say a whole bunch about it. Just feel the emotion you're experiencing in that experience and put some words to it. You may want to try making it somewhat universal, something someone else could pray as well. At the same time, be free to make this as personal and poetic and honest and visceral as you feel permission to make it. Um, share it on your Instagram stories, tag me, tag artisan, tag a friend, or don't. If you prefer, don't go anywhere near the socials with your lament. Keep it in the pages of your journal, your, your call. You could also draw a lament psalm. There's a lot of artistic humans in this community. Paint one, compose one, choreograph one. Whatever it looks like, and whatever you do it, last point, be sure to pray it yourself. Offer it to the God whose love is never failing and from which no thing can separate us. To the God whose faithfulness has been proven over and over that we can trust with our whole being to the God who is good and is the source of all goodness. Amen.